0: This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, Peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, Peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitano, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. Let's be real, Peers. All too often, we believe that we'll be happy once we start a thriving business. Yet, as our next guest reveals, it's really that simple. I'm thrilled to be welcoming the charismatic Anna Ross onto the show today. Anna is the founder and CEO of Kester Black, a premium cosmetics brand with an ethical edge. She's also the co-founder and creative director of Arne Skincare, an anti-pollution skincare brand. Over the years, Anna has won countless awards. She's been named the Telstra Australian Young Businesswoman of the Year, Australian Leadership Awards Emerging Leader of the Year, InStyle Magazine's Woman of Style and Vogue Game Changers of 2018. While you may hear her glowing list of achievements and only see success, Anna is refreshingly honest in our conversation today about the origin of Kester Black, what the aftermath of winning the Telstra Business Awards meant to her, and why we should never compare our success to others. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project, so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the brilliant Anna Ross. Welcome to the Pears to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I was very excited when you asked. Love it. Of course. Look,
0: you and I connected recently and when I looked into you and the brilliant work you were doing at, you know, Kester Black and now Arne for the last ten years actually. It
1: has been um, ten years. I always forget.
0: I knew I had to have you come on the show, so I really appreciate you taking the time. No, thank
1: you. I'm I'm honored to be here. Love that.
0: So look, Anna, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Oh, so I'm Anna. I'm 32. I think I just turned 32. I I stopped counting when I got to 30. It's
0: totally normal.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm from New Zealand originally, but I have been living in Melbourne now for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. I actually arrived on Black... Saturday in January 2009, so it was a bit of a a shock, like a heatwave shock, and it didn't cool down uh, for the whole month, really, Um, and I studied fashion in New Zealand, and then when I came to Australia, I got into jewellery, and that's actually where Kester Black started, so it was a jewellery label, and then it's morphed into this um, incredible cosmetics brand, which I'm very proud of. And otherwise, like, I'm, like, a yoga fiend, I go to the gym, like, we eat really healthy, really, really into, like, the fringe health stuff, like... Intermittent fasting, so we fast 23 hours a day. <laughs> wow! Travel, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm like always a bit of a surprise, actually. <laughs> oh. oh my goodness, I love it,
0: and it's—I mean—it's all the quirky things that make us who we are, right? Yeah, of so <laughs> there you go. Look, I'm so excited to dive into Kester Black and, and now Arne, but before we do, I want to start with a question that that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is. Where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far?
1: Awesome. So I actually grew up – in Dunedin, which is a city in the South Island of New Zealand, but my parents had a house in a little town called Hyde, H-Y-D-E. Nobody will have ever heard of it. It's actually on the rail trail, so you can start in Dunedin and then go up through to Cromwell almost, what? but it closed down years ago. No trains go there, <laughs> so now you can cycle it. <laughs> uh, it's a population of 64 people. so. Every weekend we would go to Hyde and spend our weekends there, but I actually went to high school in Dunedin. So as you can imagine, it was like a farming community. All of our neighbours were farmers. So we just grew up essentially on a farm. My, my parents lived in the city and my dad was a truck driver, right? So mm-hmm. we just used to go there for the weekend and it was incredible because we would like build huts, help on the farm. If we wanted to play with any of our friends, we had to help them finish shearing in the morning or we would like borrow their horses and ride over to their house in the afternoon. So it was like, it was pretty remote yeah. and really incredible actually. So it's changed um, the way that I live my life and do business because to me, things like environmental sustainability are really like just common sense because that's how I grew up. So it's, it's made my life and my business quite um, focused around that. Mm. Yeah.
0: I find that so fascinating. I think you're obviously your product that's so like, commercial in the best way possible and it's so you know bright and amazing and it's so cool to hear that you just you know you you came from really the country. Country. (laughs) It's so cool I I, I love that and then what was kind of you know what where did the desire to study fashion and kind of get into that where did that come from?
1: I guess it was from when I was really young because of course we made huts and played hopscotch and like played with our friends right we didn't watch tv or anything but On the weekends, when it was raining and we couldn't go outside, I had a craft book, 101 Things to Do on a Rainy Day. And I just used to do that. Like, I would make um, tissue flowers and um, clay sculptures or anything, like, anything that I could do with my hands. That's what I did. So the way, like when I grew up and went to uni, I knew that I wanted to make something because I just loved the creative process. Mm. And I really like starting with nothing and coming up with like a really incredible finished product. So I, I was also really interested in medicine and science, but I was not a book smart kid because <laughs> I was dyslexic and mm. then I, I just didn't do well at school. So after high school, I went straight into fashion because it was a tactile product. Every time I walked into a shop, I'd be touching, oh my God, they probably would have hated it with my greasy little <laughs> children's hands, touching all the nice silk fabrics and things like that. So it was really just a desire to create something. And mm. fashion was really glamorous, and mm. they had a great school in Dunedin, so it was just sort of an, an obvious next step. It was sort of that, or graphics, but I thought that um, fabrics was more hands on, so I mm. went into that.
0: Mm. I love that and I think there's always such a misconception around this and, you know, this if you're not good at school, what are you, you know, how are you going to make it and what, you know, I can imagine you were just like a very hands-on child and as you said in it, you just kind of like, well, school and writing, And what is this? Like, how did you kind of get through that time and then kind of know that you were still had the confidence to go, you know what, I
1: can still go out and do something on my own. I was so stubborn. (laughs) So that helped. (laughs) So the school that I ended up wanting to go to, my parents actually tried to send me to an intermediate school and it was co-ed and I was Mm -hmm. not having a bar of it. I wanted to go straight to high school. It was like a private girls' Anglican school. I do not know why I wanted to do that, <laughs> but I, just some older friends of ours had been there and I just thought it was quite glamorous, so mm-hmm. I wanted to go there. So um, they applied for me and I got in and, and what we would call Form One, which is your year six, maybe? I like think first so. year of. Seven, yep.
0: Yeah. High, yeah, like high school, middle, intermediate, yes, whatever you call it. School, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, high school, hang on. <laughs> and, um, and they only took 25 people a year, and you used to have to get a reference from your pastor or priest or. And we didn't have one because we'd never been to church. (laughs) So it was like my mum was like sure that we weren't going to get in. And then I got in and I was like, I'm going. And then she said, you can't go because we can't afford it. And I like cried for weeks. And so I desperately wanted to go there. Mm. And then when I got there, um, it was like academic focused and sports focused. Not my two strong points. (laughs) So... Um, I ended up taking all of the art subjects and then I dropped English, math and Science <laughs> and they hated me. Like I just, I couldn't stop talking in class. I was so excited about things or opinionated, really opinionated. And um, I just had to, they just had to sort of wrangle me into a corner where I could actually use my an creative outlet, I think. So during um, school I actually did the last two years together, and in, in the wow. second last year of school. So, in my last year, I just dropped out, maybe two months in, but I had already gained university entrance wow. because I did I did double subjects. Yeah. <laughs> you you did it the smart way, clearly. <laughs> yeah. <you know. laughs> and so, and it really annoyed them because I got academic blues as well, even though I did no academic subjects. I just did arts, but I was always top two percent of the country. Oh. So, oh. they didn't like that I, you know, had so much of an opinion. It was really hard to manage, but mm-hmm. they were also quite. I don't know, supportive of of who I was going to be. And I knew I was always going to make it and that school just didn't suit me. Mm. So I was never put out by the fact that I wasn't high achieving in uh, English, math and science because I knew that like the skills that I had just didn't fit the school system. So I was all right. Like I used to do things, this is at primary school. I watched the way that the teacher would mark the homework. So we'd get given homework weekly and then we'd have to put our books into a pile and then she would go through and mark all of the homework and then she'd put them into another pile and then she would go and tick them off the list. And if you did your homework every week, you got treats like you're allowed to go and hang out with your friends instead of going to a class every week or something like that. So I worked her system. So I watched her mark all of the books and then I'd slide my book into the middle of the pile when she was ticking off to make sure that we'd all done it. So I literally (sighs) never... Did homework at primary school because I couldn't read and write. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I cheated all the way through, like, the whole <laughs> of primary school. And then I learned the system in high school. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't read or write in English. And so I learnt that. I asked friends and they said, oh, at my school, we're looking um, we're reading, looking for Ella Brandy as one of their novel studies. And I was like, yeah, they've made a movie about that. I'll watch that. <sighs> so I watched the movie wrote an essay and got my mum to help me edit the essay. Then I memorised the essay and then I went into my year, three years' worth of English exams and wrote the same essay all three years and passed because I knew that it was blind marking and they couldn't tell what school I was from. <laughs> and I had investigated and I made sure that that book was studied at all three year levels. So I, I got around things, but I never really excelled. <laughs> Which is really helpful in business. <laughs> I was like, no wonder she's a great businesswoman. Oh, yeah, man. If I can't get through a project, a roadblock, I'll just work around it.
0: Oh, my goodness. So fascinating. (laughs) Creative thinking. (laughs) That's what they call it these days, yeah. I, I love that. And I think that so many of us are... I would say afraid to just be who we are and just go, you know what, that system doesn't suit me, but this is how I'm going to work it and this is how it's going to work out for me. Where do you think that confidence came from you? Oh, man.
1: Um, <laughs> it's defiance, yeah. I would say. You mm. know, like I, I guess I couldn't be contained and I couldn't be punished because every time they would try at school, I remember we, um, oh, I got, Got into big trouble for telling people on open day at high school that there were bugs in the flour, weevils, because all of the flour in the school was infested with these bugs right and we were told to make cookies for the for the people coming through and I told everyone don't eat the biscuits because they've got bugs in them and then I got detention and I turned it into a game so like I just they just couldn't control who I was at school because I would always see like, a way around the situation. So they told me I had to write this big essay about how to um, behave appropriately at school. And so I just wrote um, all the things that I thought about their detention system in this essay. (laughs) And it just went against all of my beliefs because I was taught to tell the truth, Mm -hmm. you know, and, like, be honest. And so they were all the things that I thought I was doing but um, not what the school wanted me to do. So Mm I don't know. I don't know where the confidence came from but I guess it was always just... um, Actually, I think it's when you have children. I like to read a lot about psychology. Mm -hmm. And when you have kids, you can give them um, do this. If you say do this, they can say yes or no. And so that creates either a green personality, which is people-pleasing, or a red personality, which is... defiant and that you'll do everything else that you're told not to do, right? So my sister is green and I am red. So I guess it's like a parenting style, which is why they always say, give your children options, make them choose between three things. And then they always feel like they've made the decision for themselves, not being told what to do. (laughs) Maybe that's that's the answer to all this madness. (laughs) I
0: absolutely love it. So interesting. So look, Anna, you... Ended up, you know, finishing up at, at uni. You did, I think it was two years, a bachelor. Three. Three, three, three years, years. again. Yeah. great. And then you decided to come to Melbourne. And this is when this idea for Kester Black came <laughs> up. But Look, talk to us a little bit about that transition there from New Zealand. You'd grown up there the, your whole life. Desire to come to Melbourne and then to start this company.
1: Well, it sort of wasn't like that. Mm. It was more that I had um, finished... Fashion school, mm. and then I asked my mum for 30 grand to start a business, and she said no. Yeah. Oh, wow! Yeah, know. I was really surprised actually. Yeah. <laughs> Looking back, not so surprised, <laughs> but oh, sh- she said no. She said, Anna, you need to go overseas and get some experience in the industry somewhere else. Um, how about Australia? They've got a really good fashion scene over there. And I said, No way, am I moving to Australia? And so um, I slept on it for a few days, and I thought, Actually, she's right. I better go. So the reason why I moved to Australia was because the flights were cheaper than moving to Wellington, which is where the fashion capital of New Zealand was at that time, right? So I just thought it would be like another New Zealand city because the flights were cheaper, they had direct flights, it was easy to get to and from. Um, And when I got here, I was Really shocked, culture Mm. shock, big culture shock. Wow. Have you been to New Zealand? I've not. And this is why. It's wild how different the countries are. And so um, specifically the communication style. So in New Zealand, people, you might often hear that people are quite really friendly and laid back, but also blunt. Mm. Like they don't sugarcoat anything. (laughs) And I was like really blunt because I grew up in the country. And so like country folk are quite, you know, live off the land rough kind of mm. people mm. down where I was from, not all country people. <laughs> oh, clarification. And, um, and so it was actually a huge shock to me to come here. And mm. in New Zealand, I worked in retail a lot um, when I was studying. And the way that you assisted in retail was, um, hi, how can I help you? Is there anything you're looking for? And you help. Whereas in Australia, mm. you sell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it just wasn't my style. Like, it, yeah, it was really interesting. So it actually took me two years to settle in here. So and I really wanted to bring, and I had started um, Kest of Black actually as a fashion label back yes. in New Zealand, and I wanted to bring that over, but I couldn't afford to bring my sewing machine. So with Mum not giving me my thirty thousand dollars, <laughs> oh, I came with two and a half grand, <laughs> and I was like unemployed for seven months, so it yeah, was geez. hard. <laughs> yeah. And I, just because I had New Zealand experience, not Australian experience, didn't count for anything. So it was really hard to get my foot in the door. But once mm. I was in, I was like, okay, I get, I get it now. Mm. Like I was really starting to understand the difference culturally between Australia and New Zealand. It's so funny because we're so close to each other. As you said, direct flights to Melbourne, great, perfect.
0: And even myself, I've lived in Australia my whole life and I've not yet made the, you know, gone to yeah. Europe, gone to America, but just because we just think it's so close, we'll get there at some point but there it's so interesting to hear and i have heard this before that there is such such a difference and then for you to kind of think oh i'm just kind of going next door but no it's a different way of talking It's to exactly
1: it. like going just, from australia to europe yeah. you know that it's really different right Correct. but i guess the the difference is that you think it's going to be the Bingo. same but it's not
0: <laughs> Exactly <laughs> That's so interesting. So talk to us about how you navigated, especially the business, when you got when you, only had
1: two and a half grand to live off, you were trying to bring the you know, company over. How did you even manage that? So uh, I never really intended on starting a business here. Mm. I always just fall into these <laughs> things, right? So I came for a job in fashion. I got a job in retail. And just to keep my portfolio ticking over, I wanted to keep doing something where I was making something. So I met a friend and he took me to this awesome store in the city called KUDAX Jewellers and they're in the Century Building and all they sell is like jewellery chain, waxes, drills, like anything that a jeweller would need. They're like a jewellery supply store. So I went in there and I was like, it was like a kid in a candy store. It was (laughs) incredible. I was just like looking at all these amazing things and I had no idea how to make jewellery actually but he, uh, the guy at KUDAX said, just go up one floor and uh, there's a casting place there, just ask them what to do, (laughs) right? Sure. So that's what I did, that's my skill, I just go, I don't know how to do this, can you help me? So I always ask, I always ask for help. Um, So I went upstairs and said, I want to become a jeweller, how do I do it? And they said, well this is the casting process, and I said, brilliant, how much does it cost? And he said, oh, you know, roughly $30 a mould and then $3 a casting, Mm. and I was like... It's affordable. <laughs> so the next week I turn up with this little collection of trinkets for them to cast. <laughs> just nothing that I had made, just yeah. things that I had gathered. Yeah. And I gave them to him. And the next week um, he handed me my jewellery back. So yeah. I drilled some holes in with, I've always had a power drill on hand, you know. Uh, so I drilled yes, some holes do. in it and then I strung it on a chain. Hey, presto, a business. So oh. we started with um, sterling silver jewellery and That took off, like, immediately, and it was just something creative. Mm. You know, once you learn design, you can apply it to anything, really. So, it's like you could do cosmetics or fashion or product design or even web design. It's all similar. So, it was just to keep my skills going. Um, Then I started making and selling jewellery. So, I would spend $50 on getting things cast, and then I would sell it, and I might get $300 back. So the next week I'd go and spend $300 on getting things cast and then I would get $1,000 back. So it really just grew really organically and I started literally with $50 from my paycheck. And I was getting like, you know, I don't know, $14 an hour or whatever yeah. it was back then. Nothing.
0: <laughs> Jeez, it's, I love stories like this because so many of us think, oh, to start a business with so much money and, you know, oh my goodness, how am I going to do this? I, can, I can't quit my job and it's like you don't need to. No. And I think it's... You know, I think it's so great to hear that from you. What advice would you give to our peers out there listening who maybe they have this great idea or maybe they think, you know, this is something I want to do, but they're just are not ready to make that kind of full-time leap into it. What advice would you give to them?
1: Wow. You always mm. hear about success stories <laughs> ten years in the morning, right? <laughs> ten years in so, The two things of advice, and I will get sued one day by Nike, but it is just do it. (laughs) Because lots of people have fabulous ideas. Mm. And there were way better people than me at my fashion degree, right? I was just like some mediocre student. But I was the only one that made it because I was the only one that did it. So imagine if all these incredibly talented, really talented people went and did it. Like I would have no chance. But the problem is, is that people don't do it. The second thing is... Um, you don't have to quit your job. Do it as a hobby. If you really have a great idea and you want to see if it works, keep your job, do it on the weekends and test it out. So the one thing that I think I was really lucky with my business was I was really young mm-hmm. and I could sacrifice a lot. You know, if you're um, married with young children or there's lots of barriers to starting a business. And the best thing about it was that I didn't know anything about business. Mm-hmm. So I did not know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> <You do. laughs> And had I have known, <laughs> I wouldn't have done it. Although in yeah. saying that I have just started a second business, which I always said I would never do. So maybe I just haven't learned my lesson yet. <laughs> I think we become addicted and then it's, oh, where do you go from there?
0: <laughs> yeah. So,
1: yeah, it's just do it. Like, yeah. and, and always ask for help because if you mm-hmm. don't know how to do something, there's always somebody that does. And lots of people are willing to help you get something off the ground because mm. people want to be involved in a journey right so for somebody else who who has a good idea but doesn't want to spend the money or the time or doesn't want a business they get their creative outlet by helping you do your thing so there's lots of people willing to help.
0: Mm. I love that I couldn't agree more I think what I'm most interested in now is to hear that the kind of transition from we're just making jewelry on the side, and I'm 21, and it's awesome, and I'm in Melbourne because it's the best city. To you know, ha- you know the, the real the, the brand that is now. Kester, what was that transition like? Talk us through kind of those maybe first three four years.
1: Yeah, sure. So I think we started the jewelry label in March 2009, mm. March April, and. Um, I had some graphic skills, so I made a little lookbook and an Excel price sheet and I looked up some of my favourite stores and I emailed them. I didn't even call them or pop in, like I just emailed. So um, I, then they responded well they were like, oh, this is really nice stuff, we would love to stock it in our store. So we actually started as a wholesale model and I hadn't thought about it, I just thought um, that's how you would sell something through stores. <laughs> And so uh, I started to get maybe 10 or 20 stores stocking the jewellery and then it kept increasing and we got into Life With Bird. Do you remember Ooh, Life With Bird yeah. fashion? They were beautiful labeled and beautiful stores. Mm. And so um, was that was like one of the biggest moments for me when Life With Bird said they would stock my jewellery. So then they started spending lots of money, like five grand a month with one account and that was I was still working a full-time job, so I wow. was just doing this on the weekend as a hobby, right? And then once we started making lots of money, I was like, I'm going on holiday. So I spent all my money on holidays. <laughs> I actually think I spent $30,000 on like a seven-week Europe trip. No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do it cheap. <laughs>
0: you did not. No.
1: <laughs> so I just spent it because I didn't. I didn't really... it was a business Mm. it was i was still just a hobby on the side but i was putting in a lot of time so i'd get home from work at six or seven Mm. and then i would do orders and emails until like 12 1 at night and then the next morning i'd get up and go to work again so it wasn't like it was easy Mm. it did take a lot of time and energy but um i didn't really think of it very seriously so then uh, we might have had about 40 stockists Mm. and i had just started our little online store but Nothing was really going through the online store at that stage. Um, A few things were selling, I think we got six orders a month. And I thought, Mm. to increase our average order value, because somebody had told me about it, not that I'd looked for this, we decided to, I decided, it was still me just back then, um, to make nail polish, right? So the reason why nail polish came about was because our rings were going really well because they were quite well priced and Mm. they were really interesting. And I wanted to learn how to colour silver because I was bored of working with silver. And I knew that you could do it with enamel paint. So somebody said, I'm pretty sure nail polish is enamel paint. So I went into the city and I went into Meyer or David Jones and picked out a nail polish. And I remember it was like a bright fuchsia shade from Kit Cosmetics back when they were doing their nail polish. And I went home and painted it all over my rings. And it was a disaster, but I thought, oh, it'd be cool if we made um, nail polish to match our rings. So I looked into it for about a year, and I emailed, I googled online and found a manufacturer and I found a chemist to speak to through Gumtree, and I contacted this manufacturer like every week for a year, and they said, no, we won't work with you, you're far too small. So I said, please, please, give me a chance, and then um, had realised at that point that there was no vegan, um, like... Vegan ethical cosmetics on the market, right? So my cosmetics were just going to be cruelty free and vegan because it made sense, not because it was not because I wanted them to be mm. vegan, because it didn't make sense for them not to be vegan. So after a year, they got sick of me emailing every week, and they said, "Fine, we will do it for you." And um, I put my first order in, and it was 30 units of six shades. <laughs> wow. I think they regretted it. Yeah. <laughs> And within three years, I was one of their top five biggest customers. And they've got customers like Sally Hansen, you know, like big customers. Um, So it was a real sort of success story. Mm. And then when we offered these nail polishes, six colours, to all of our wholesale stores, they took them on and they just, it tripled the business. Uh, We tripled the revenue of the business within three months. And so I think we're turning around, turning out maybe about 30 or 40 grand a year. And then, like, we were at 180 grand, like, within three months or something. So it was a lot. Like, it was huge growth. And so – and it was a huge risk, right? Because it was going to cost a couple of thousand dollars. And a couple of thousand dollars back then was a lot of money, (laughs) and it could have, like, ruined the business. So it was just a huge risk. I tried it, and it worked. And so we ended up – I ended up still, sorry – discontinuing making the jewelry because at that time there was another few brands that came out and they were getting their stuff made in Bali ah, and dear. so they were making it out really cheap mm. silver and the prices were so low that we just couldn't compete so and it was very manual labor like I remember I moved into a house in Brunswick years ago mm. and they were having a house housewarming, and all these people came over to our house for a party and I was sitting in my room with a beer, sanding jewelry for like the seven hours that it was going, and people would just come and visit me in my bedroom because <laughs> I had to get an jewelry order out party. the next morning <laughs> so, so I just um, I just made it work. yeah. What I love about you, Anna,
0: is that it's it's your persistence, you know I think that so many of us, I mean you make it sound so nonchalant and you know and but as you said, you were sitting there doing it yourself every day while working a full-time job, and then even to get into that, you know, manufacture every day for a year, I would have given up after a month. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm persistent, but not that, you know, what? Pest. Yeah, I'm a pest. <laughs> stuff that we're not too small. I I love that. What what role do you think
1: persistence plays in this game of of business? It's really important, but I don't know if it's persistence rather than grit you know Mm -hmm. like persistence could be following up on something that um, you're not reading the signs and it's just not going to work whereas grit is knowing that you're onto something really good and sticking it out when times are tough Mm -hmm. so I think that um, it is really important because there are a lot of times especially in the last two years where I thought oh what have I doing Mm -hmm. like I don't know if I can keep going but I have always seen the end goal the end goal always changed. You know, My end goal was getting it into um, you know, Life with Bird stores back then. And now we're in uh, Liberty in London and NK in Stockholm. So we're in the global premium department stores now. So the end game is always changing and it's always moving further forward. But I've always been really clear that I believe that I can make it. The brand is incredible. People love it. The products are amazing. So, I think that if you just make fantastic products and you stand for something, it's really valuable. Mm-hmm. And we did actually um, just get our first round of funding recently, and I had to do a, you know, had to value the business. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, it's not worth anything because we're not really making heaps and heaps of money. No. How can I value it? And um, I was really, really surprised mm-hmm. that it was worth so much. And we just did a brand valuation on cost. So, like when sure. I had looked at all the costs that I had taken for the last, six years maybe uh it was like plus three million dollars just for the brand right so the the valuation we got was really 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 good for such a small business that hasn't really until now sort of moved out of australia Mm -hmm. so it was always it was really rewarding to actually do that process to go Mm -hmm. oh no it is it's worth something so Mm -hmm. it's worth sticking at it it's it's I absolutely like I love the fact that you
0: you're like oh, it's such a small business and it's so like you know it, it's so interesting how the founder sees it and then from you know, a customer or someone who's yeah. looking in sees and I think that it comes down to that just, you know, you're always, look, as you said, you're always looking for that next, you know, what, how else could we potentially grow a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, and, and kind of keeping your eye on the prize while still kind of staying humble. How do we stay humble throughout this process and stay grounded?
1: I've got a great example for you. So um, I'll tell you about the Telstra Business Awards because- yes. It was in end of two thousand. It was probably the start of two thousand and sixteen that I had entered, mm. and uh, I knew that I wanted to do an awards program just to see if if the business was as good as I thought it was, really. Mm. So I found the Telstra women's Awards, and I read through the application, and it was all about inclusivity of minority populations, um, sustainability, and and environment, and the other thing was. Um, like, it was sort of all just around social stewardship, right? And and looking after communities and things. And so Kester Black being um, serving um, customers that can otherwise be discriminated from beauty is one thing that we do. And we always act in a sustainable way. Like, we always try and do everything sustainably. And we had just become a B Corp, which meant that we were donating, um, at that time, 10% of our revenue to charities. So Mm. there was lots of aspects of Kester Black, which I thought would suit the awards really well. So I went through the awards program, um, wrote up the application, and I just had a really good feeling about it. Mm. And um, went through all the way, I had won the Victorian um, awards and then I went through to the finals and I met somebody else there and I thought, oh no, her business is turning over way more money than me. Like it was um, plus $10 million and mine was like below $1 million. (laughs) And so I was like, there's no way that I'm gonna win this, but it was a good good, um, trip while I was doing it. And so on the night um, when they called out my name, I was blown away. And I went up, and I hadn't prepared a speech properly. It was just all a bit of a like. I was stoked, but um, I wish I had it prepared better. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it was it was incredible. It was an incredible journey because before those awards, I didn't really think that I was a good businesswoman or that Kester Black was a good business, right? Like it took other people to recognise me as a good businesswoman for me to see it myself. So from that aspect, it was. It really changed everything for me and my business was like my business goals back then was to get it to a million revenue and I didn't know that you could have businesses that made more than a million dollars like I mean obviously Telstra and all of those big companies that are making billions of dollars but I didn't think that small businesses would do that like I just I also didn't think I was capable of doing that. So once I went through the awards program and I saw that people saw something in me, it gave me the confidence to go, oh, maybe there's something more than this that that I'm aiming for. And they paid for me to go on this um, conference that Combank runs called Women in Focus. And I got there and I have a a degree in fashion, right? So I'm (laughs) across all of the big brands Mm. and I've been following them for years just to see how they they use fashion and do marketing and all those sorts of things. And so I walked into the room and I noticed I was literally the only person wearing (laughs) <laughs> one, not Valentino's, and two, Birkenstock's. <laughs> I have since been banned yes. from wearing Birkenstock's, but um, I looked in the room and I thought, whoa, these shoes, they're all worth like plus $1,000 a pair, right? Mm. So these women must be making some serious money. And after I got speaking to them, there mm. were so many women in that room. There were, first, there was Cathy um, Reid, who was a billionaire, then there was Cyan Taid, who has been named um, the richest woman in Australia under 40. And then I was speaking to somebody else who had sold their business for over $100 million. Jesus. And I was like, I oh. thought a million dollars And And so it really opened up my um, perspective, I guess. Mm. And I realised that woman, it sounds really silly to say this, but back then mm-hmm. I didn't think woman could make hundreds of millions of dollars, <laughs> let alone be billionaires, it just didn't occur to me that, it, so it was almost like I believed in the woman's repression, you know? Mm. And now I don't, I've yeah. broken free of that. <laughs> um, and women can do whatever they want, whenever mm. they want. So um, it was really interesting to like, be open to that. But what happened was, I also got a bit of an ego around winning that award, and I did lots of podcasts Mm -hmm. and speaking and all of these things, like public speaking, doing keynote speeches. I did it to see if I could do it, and then once I realised I was doing it, I hated it. I I, I don't feel comfortable public speaking like that. Like, I don't mind speaking on panels. I really Mm -hmm. enjoy panels, but I hate keynotes, and so I was removed from my business, not running the business, I was like essentially just going, oh, you guys do that, and I'll go and be fabulous over here. <laughs> and so I was kind of like the golden mm-hmm. girl for a couple of years, and I took all of those opportunities because they were also feeding back into building my brand. But what I realised was that I don't really want to be a personality, mm-hmm. and I don't want to build my brand on me. I want, to, I want to build my brand because my brand is fantastic and the products are great, not because I'm um, an influencer, which I never have been and mm-hmm. never will be, but... Uh, it it really became clear to me that I I got a little bit confused. And then, um, because I had won the awards, people thought I was this brilliant person... And then I started listening to lots of other people's advice, like I got an accountant who thought that I was going to be turning over $30 million within two years and then he convinced me that I was going to be doing that. So we started spending money like we were spending, <laughs> like we had $30 million revenue coming in. And so I made a lot of mistakes because I listened to the wrong people and I really moved away from what I knew and what I knew was I'll do all my books myself and at the end of the month I'll put away my tax. And then they were like, don't put away your tax on a business account. You should be spending it to make more money. Mm-hmm. So we spent it and we didn't make more money. And then we got ourselves into tax debt, right? So it was all fine. Mm. Like we got ourselves out of tax debt. But there was sort of, um, it developed really bad habits in me. And so it was really interesting that I needed the business awards to um, get the confidence in myself that I could do it. And then I moved so much sideways that I thought I was all that but I wasn't and it really affected my business and one of the hardest things is that when people think you're fabulous and from the social, um, I guess people in the community would have thought, oh my God, here's Anna, she's doing amazing things with her amazing business and then I started to, um, we started running out of cash. So we've always been profitable as a business but we ran out of cash and we had to, had to raise money. Or we wouldn't have survived. So it was really hard, and I felt like I couldn't talk about it with anybody because they expected me to be doing amazing things with my business, not running into the ground. So <laughs> it was a little bit of a trap. Like it was, it was incredible in lots of ways, and it was, it was a good learning in a lot of other ways. So I found an investor recently um, who is also a woman that I really admire, and she's sort of turned into a business coach of mine. She's incredible, and she's also my business partner for Arne. Oh. So she invested in the business and because of her belief in me and trust, because it's so unlikely that this sorts of things happen, but when we had valued the business, um, we needed to pay for some stock and it was for these fabulous lipsticks that we've just launched, but we needed to have the money by the Friday, right? We really took it to the end day to get this investment. And I hadn't got a term sheet and I hadn't got a shareholders agreement because I didn't know that you were supposed to get those things because I've never raised money before mm-hmm. and I'm not in the startup community. So she literally transferred like half a million dollars to my bank account with Without. no paperwork, with nothing, oh. <laughs> because she trusts me, right? I still have not got that term sheet or that <laughs> shareholder agreement. Still up in the air. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going through a restructure at the moment. So um, anyway, it's – you know, but – how often do you... And I found her at the Woman in Focus conference, right? I bumped into her. Um, we got talking. She was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then she said, do you want to start a business together? And I said, yes, okay, let's do that. Don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> and then so I flew to her house in New Zealand and we did a values workshop and we decided, yes, it's a very good idea to start a business together. And so we've been working on it for almost two years now. And then I just call her and go, oh, Marissa, I've run out of money. Are you able to help me? And she did. Like... How many people do you find on the street that just go, okay, Anna, I'll just give you half a million dollars with no paperwork? None. So I have been incredibly lucky. Oh. And I think it's important to highlight because although I grew the business to the, this, this, the size that it was mm. on my own with no investment, like because I had made some bad mistakes, I needed some help. And her help also comes with fantastic advice. Yeah. So she saved my butt. <laughs> it's not all it's... smooth sailing. <laughs>
0: It never is. No. And I think for one, thanks so much for sharing that with us. <laughs> I think it's so it's so valuable. As you said, like people look at business owners and the awards and you know, I still do it myself these days. Oh, award winning entrepreneurs and, you know, whatever. And they just really have no idea what's going on in the background how that no. affects the person and and the journey they have to go through and I think I mean I mean you got 10 years, yourself 10 years in business and yet still you're you're learning you're making the mistakes and you're you know you're getting the support that you need and I just think that's so admirable and it's so great to bring up in discussion because we just get so clouded so I mean, yeah. many of us see that kind of these people and we put them on a pedestal and you know
1: It's funny wow. because I've got some really fantastically successful friends. Mm. And I have a friend who lives in Sydney with like this gorgeous three-storied mm. building, you know, like gorgeous home and a ritzy car and a couple of kids. And she's only a few years older than me. And I'm going, Oh man, I'm a failure <laughs> because I got to 30 and I don't have a house, mm. a car, kids. And then I, I did have a really good talk to her one day and I said, How do you have all of this these amazing things? she said, oh, well, we got some help. I, I got a little bit of inheritance money. And I go, it's funny when you compare, right? Because you, you might look at me and go, Anna's a successful entrepreneur and she's built this business and it's you know now worth money. Um, but I won't see that until, you know, I don't know when. Else. <laughs> I look at my friends and I go, they're 40 and they've got houses and cars and they're married with kids and stuff. And I go... But I wanted that at 30 and I haven't got that so I'm not a success, but that's not true. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I've learned recently is you just can't compare because you have no idea what's going on in the background. And I think it's always important to talk about investment. You know, like I was incredibly lucky that I met somebody who truly believed in me and invested into my business because she saw the vision that I also saw and she knows me now from working together in our other business and she trusts that I will do the right thing. So, you know, it's, i guess we profile lots of like uber successful people and even when you think about other some of the other entrepreneurs who are estimated worth a billion dollars or estimated worth millions of dollars they're still living week yes, to week right exactly. because they're not getting that money until they sell it mm-hmm. <laughs> so i mean i just moved out of a share house a year
0: ago yeah, yeah. i, I It's so cool that we can be so real about this and just talk about it because it is such a misconception. No one really gets it until they're living it.
1: And I think I've only really considered my business a business for possibly the last two or three years. Whereas before that, I always still thought it was a hobby. So Mm. in the last two or three years, I've treated it like a business and really Mm. tried to grow it. Whereas before I was just like, whatever, you know, I was the only... Only person that had put money in, really, you know. I had some staff, but nobody was really relying on me, and so it was, if I didn't make it work, then it wouldn't really have mattered. But now, it now it matters. Yeah. <laughs> it needs to work. <laughs> big time,
0: <laughs> big time. I love it. Look, I want to dive into Arne. Yeah, of course. Before we run out of time. So look. I love this idea. I love the fact that your mentor is just, you know, you guys gelled. Talk to us a little bit bit about how you came up with the concept. Firstly, what it is, then how you came up with the concept and what you've been working on for the last.
1: So Arne is um, a very premium anti-pollution skincare brand. And uh, Marissa, who I'd met at the Women in Focus conference, she is two years younger than my mum. So she's like my friend, my business advisor, my investor, and my (laughs) mum. She's another mother. All wrapped in one. (laughs) So we have this really incredible relationship, and she is one of the only people that goes, Anna, you cannot turn up to business meetings wearing Birkenstocks. You know, nobody else would tell me that. And but it gives you an edge, you know, if you turn up looking like how you want to be represented, that helps. So she's she's helped me in all these incredible ways. Um, She is friends with uh, a scientist in New Zealand, and he was working on this incredible product. So where we got this product from, and Marissa brought the idea to me because she needed somebody to do it with, and she she didn't know anybody in beauty, and then we just happened to meet, and I was in beauty. So she showed me this incredible product, and what it is, is a natural plant extract grown in the South Island of New Zealand, which forms a film. So if you have a very, very sheer film, on your face, it stops particulate matter from um, the atmosphere from getting into the pores in your face, in your skin. So um, we had done some initial testing on it in, a, in an independent lab, and it turns out that it stops particulate matter, which is tiny little bits of stuff, flying around at the size of 2.5 microns, which is 1 the size of um, a hair strand right so it's like minuscule so this film stops particulate matter 2.5 from being able to touch your pores and when it gets into your skin it causes things like it causes inflammation so it causes acne or redness or it just disturbs the skin and your skin has to create (laughs) I can't remember (laughs) which one was it (laughs) okay so your skin has to fight free radicals right Uh so because it's inflamed then your skin starts developing more collagen and um, it, it just works really hard to stop the inflammation so if you put this product on and it's a very thin sort of gel product or it comes in a mist it will it will protect your skin And it's really important for people who live in very polluted cities like Shanghai or any of those sort of places, especially in India as well, like Mumbai is one of the most polluted cities in the world. So um, everybody thinks about breathing um, pollution, and the World Health Organization and NASA is doing a lot of research around what pollution does when you breathe it. And it, it kills people, like it can cut your life short by up to 30 years, right? This is some of the research that they're finding out. So what people are not looking at is the pollution and the pollution's effect on the skin. And the skin is your largest body organ. So we want to be um, the leading and the sort of first to market anti-pollution skincare range with this incredible ingredient that only comes from the South Island of New Zealand. And the reason why it's incredible is because of the hole over the ozone layer
0: Isn't that a contradiction? Yeah,
1: seriously. (laughs) So because there's a hole over the ozone layer, then all of the plants that grow up, um, that grow in these areas across Australia and New Zealand have to have high antioxidant levels and they had to adapt to be able to live in the harsh conditions of no ozone. So um, that's why the properties are really unique to that plant and that's why it comes from the South Island of New Zealand. So essentially what happened was, Marissa knew a scientist, and he worked for New Zealand's version of the CSIRO, and they have been working on this for 12 years, but they didn't know what to do with it. And she said, you need to put it into cosmetics. And so she has actually been trying to commercialise this with them for about five to seven years, but they just weren't ready. They hadn't done enough testing. They didn't know how to get the product to market. Like, to make something in a lab is really different to having it on commercial scale. So... We, I got involved with Marissa and we started the business and we have been um, trying to launch but it keeps getting delayed a little bit because of these um, ind- independent tests that we're conducting. Um, it just keeps getting pushed back so we're going to launch it at the start of next year. But it is a, an incredible product. Uh, it's a natural product but it is incredibly functional and we can have it tested like in an independent lab so we can prove that it works. So we've just been doing it on research, all scientific research, like it's a technical scientific skincare product. And after knowing about the beauty industry and being in it for the last six or seven years, I have not seen anything on the market that is like this. There is an anti-pollution category, but it looks like most of the big players have gone, oh, anti-pollution's a thing, let's just make a product. Mm -hmm. And the products that they're making are high antioxidant serums. So, they strengthen the skin barrier, but they do not actually physically protect it. It's incredible. It's like, some it of this pollution, incredible. the pollution on the skin can even cause skin cancer. Like, so it's quite serious, and nobody really thinks about skin and skin health. And of course, it ages your skin, and there's so many things that, um, that we don't know about, or as consumers, we're not aware of. Even in Melbourne, you know, we should probably worry, you should think about pollution like you think about SPF protection it's just as damaging
0: wow <laughs> oh, sorry did I just Anna, overload you no, this, was,
1: this <laughs>
0: taking it all in because it it's it's revolutionary you know it's so innovative and I think that it's phenomenal that you were able to come to this with your mentor and your business partner and go you know, let's take this to market. Let's bring it out there because it is something that clearly we all need to be aware of, aware of and start, you know, doing something about. Um, super, super cool. We are so excited. I'm so excited to I think see. I it's,
1: like, it's like the launch of SPF or something, you know. It's it's, it's pretty exciting, I think. Huge. It's very exciting. Oh, 100%. And second
0: business and who better to do it with than a, fa- a fabulous mentor.
1: Yeah, she's incredible. Amazing.
0: Look. Anna, oh, so much today has been so, so interesting. And I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you. I mean, over the last 10 years, you've built one of Australia's leading ethical beauty brands. You've been named Telstra Telstra Australian Young Businesswoman of the Year, as we talked about. You've also been named as the Australian Leadership Awards Emerging Leader of the Year, InStyle Magazine's Woman of Style. <laughs> I could keep going, the Vogue Game Changers of 2018. You're involved in so much, you're making so much of a difference aside from all the, you know, accreditations and awards that you've gotten. You know, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who have big ambitions? You know, they want to do something and build something, but maybe they're just not too sure where to start.
1: What advice would you give to them? Start wherever you can. It will always involve. You know, everybody asked me when Kister Black started. I don't know the answer to that because it was a fashion label and it was a jewellery label and then we sort of made cosmetics, but now we really make cosmetics, you know? <laughs> so they're like, when did you actually start? I'm like, I've been working on this since I was five, <laughs> making those paper flowers, you know? <laughs> so it's, you, and I think that you've got to love it. You've mm. got to love what you do. So mm. if it's a big idea to change something and you're not even really interested in that, mm. then maybe that's not the one that you take to market, right? Mm. Mm. But I love what I do. And when it gets really hard... I go, Why well, am I doing this? And I go, oh, that's right, because I have an awesome job, and because I don't work for anybody else, and because I travel all over the world, and we're manufacturing in Europe now, so oh, now I have an excuse to go and yes. live over there. So, <laughs> you know, it's like giving me so many opportunities, and I think just start with something, because it will evolve. You know, if, if I had a, I wouldn't be talking to you about my um, $50 business with my jewelry <laughs> if I hadn't a, you know, adapted it, right?
0: So true. <laughs> what it's... a boring story that yeah. would have been. But... End of, you know, it would end in five minutes. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So look, Anna, as we come to the close of today's episode, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the brilliant work you've done and that you're doing for really showing us that our side hustle, our passion project could actually turn into a viable business if we work at it, if we, you know, get through all the roadblocks And if sometimes we just be a little bit too stubborn, you know. So for that, we really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. It was an awesome hour spent. (laughs) Love it. So look, our final question is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value pursuing what you're most passionate about?
1: Oh my God, I didn't prepare for this one. (laughs) (laughs) I think that... If you pursue something that you're passionate about, chances are that there are many other people passionate about it and together, you can actually create real change. So even if it's like not world changing, but if you bring joy to somebody else's life, that is worth it, right? Because we only have a limited amount of time and why would you get stuck doing something that you hate? Only, I really think you should only pursue things that you're really interested in because if it doesn't fulfil other people, at least it will fulfil you. <laughs> oh, so well said.
0: Anna, ladies and gentlemen, where can people learn more about you, Kester Black and Arne?
1: So I guess the best place to go is kesterblack.com. You could also visit arneskincare.com, but it's still a work in progress. Yes. I just took the password off because I was sick of it being... <laughs> <laughs> Not launching till next year, (laughs) iterating a lot. So you can learn more about the product there and sign up to our mailing list at least.
0: Love it. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thanks so much again, Anna. We've had a blast. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer, and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit The Piers Project or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then,
1: if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.